0: If you work for the Catholic Church and want to avoid burnout, overcome team dysfunctions, and put more souls in the pews, we're here to help. I'm Ty Hua, here with my co host, John Cons, and we're providing leadership development for Catholic ministry professionals. Every week, you can expect practical advice to help you move Jesus' mission forward in your parish. Today, we have an interview with a real, alive Catholic ministry professional, Shane Van Deest. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, glad to be here, guys. Do you guys sometimes get hosts who are either real or alive, but I'm unique because I'm both? I'm real and live
0: sometimes they're fictitious because we, we have, it's almost like the witness protection program where we have to protect who they really are or else they won't give us their real opinion.
1: Well, I'll be sure to give you the, the, and, the unfiltered and we, version and I'm glad I can check all the boxes, both real and alive.
2: Absolutely. And what we, well, we do also have some fictional, uh, characters that appear, yes. such as Ethel, right? Every church has an Ethel, so it's it's good to distinguish between the two. <laughs> awesome, well, Shane. We're we're good friends. We go back for a ways. I remember having a real good cup of coffee not too long ago, and just kind of sharing our hearts and our desire for ministry. And and it was one of the first real deep conversations we were able to have. And I I really value your input. I think you truly are a Catholic ministry professional. You've someone. Who is has striven after the Lord, but also striven after excellence in the process. And so I, I can't wait for you to just share those golden nuggets that I know you've got stored up inside that you use day to day. But before we really dive into those questions, our people are going to want to know, who is Shane Van deest I'm going to let myself get out of the way. Tell the listeners about yourself, what your ministry looks like. Sure, thanks, story. guys.
1: Yeah, I uh, Shane Van Deest and I, I grew up in... Um, I guess Helena, Montana, uh, would be the place that I would I would kind of stake my my upbringing. Um, grew up there and played football and attended school at Carroll College, a little Catholic school uh, back in Montana, um, and had to move out to South Dakota uh, to meet my now wife, Mara. Um, we have three young kids. I think probably similar, maybe ages. I, I've listened to a couple of your guys' podcasts, but yeah, so five, uh, two, and then like a six month old. So. I think ages similar to, to, to some of the ages you guys have spoken about. And, um, we've now made Sioux falls our home, but, um, in the meantime, between college and then I've, I've done a lot of work for the church. Uh, I started out actually coaching college football. Um, and during that time of coaching college football, I was at the university of South Dakota and it was there, I was introduced to um, an organization called focus and focus. I know a lot of people are familiar with the work they do, but, um, Really was sort of my inroads into formal and what, what you guys are certainly, you know, talking about professional ministry uh, in the church. Was engaged with the work of Focus while I was coaching. Um, and then after a couple of years, realized that uh, the favorite part of my week was the Bible study I was doing with some of the football players and baseball players. And so thought, you know, maybe this is something I should consider uh, doing full time instead of for a couple hours a week. And so joined Focus. Uh, did Focus for a couple of years. Um, And really probably would have done it for longer, but left uh, because my now wife uh, pulled me to medical school with her. Uh, We got married um, and I spent a couple years in St. Louis uh, working um, as a teacher uh, and doing high school campus ministry, which I loved. Uh, But then being really, really fortunate to work for Archbishop uh, Robert Carlson, uh, who's a great kind of hero of mine now and and hired me to run his uh, young adult and campus ministry department uh, for the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Um, and so kind of cut my teeth with curial and, uh, um, you know, parish ministry in a sense, um, and then moved back to Sioux falls a couple of years ago with my wife and kids and have now for the last couple of years, um, been teaching at O'Gorman high school. So doing high school teaching, teaching theology, uh, to freshmen and sophomores, um, watching those fun, awkward stages of life, um, and trying to, to share the gospel with them. So, yeah, so worked for the church in a lot of different capacities. Um, and I've been, yeah, I've been really blessed to, to get to encounter people like you, John, who um, who've worked in various roles and, and, and kind of try to learn from the great people I've been blessed to be around in that time.
2: Yeah, I and as we were even the first time that we really had a really good conversation, I was struck by the breadth of experience that you've had, um, being kind of in a in a sense the secular world, right? Being a football coach, right? Not directly working for the church then going into the missionary activity, right, really part going with focus, um, then different events at the diocesan level and now and the parish level and then now teaching in a classroom. I mean, you, you've you really experienced a lot of the breadth of ministry as we think of just kind of classical ministry um, and where that's being done. And, and how does that kind of inform the way you approach ministry or how has that kind of shaped the way that um, – that you approach the things that you sure. Do. Well,
1: I think the key to having a breadth of of experiences is you just marry a medical student, and then you get you know moved around every couple of years. Um, but I, I mean, we joke about that, my wife and I, but it's actually been I think a great blessing for our family because I have gotten to see sort of the breadth mm-hmm. um, of what the church looks like, and, and again, church broadly speaking, you, you know, there's church ministry, but then there's the church, uh, which is this giant uh, entity that's both human and divine. Um, And yeah, football, coaching football taught me a lot of lessons. I I think if nothing else, I learned how to work really hard uh, for not a lot of payment. So I I don't know if anybody in church ministry world knows what that's like to work hard um, and probably be underpaid. I don't know if that's something people are familiar with.
0: First time we've Um, ever
1: heard of it. First time you've heard that. Okay, good. Well, let me introduce you to uh, (laughs) to more than 40 hours uh, for obviously less than uh, 40 hours worth of pay, Um, but learned how to work hard. Um, for something that you love. And I, I, I still to this day love football. Mm-hmm. I, I tell my wife, I, I don't miss uh, Monday through Friday kind of grinding, uh, but I miss Saturday afternoons. Um, so the football thing is always in your blood. But I think being around good leaders and good mentors in that field uh, helped me, like I said, build the work ethic, but then also the the uh, professionalism piece. And I know so much of what you two have tried to do is is try to find that interaction, that intersection between ministry, which I I think sometimes can be seen as like, okay, ministry is sort of relaxed uh, and professional is sort of this like stuffy um, world. And so ministry professional, what do we do with that word? Um, There's this unnecessary tension sometimes in those two things. And if nothing else, working in the world of, of college athletics taught me how to work hard, taught me how to be a professional so that when I took jobs with the church, I think I was able to bring that professionalism um, from day one. And that's sometimes something that we are lacking in the church. And I know that, that's part of your guys' mission and vision behind the work that you're doing.
2: Well, absolutely. You know, I, I appreciate you said that relaxed versus stuffy, you know, and that it's either one or the other, but not really, you know, both. And, and I did run into that a lot when I was in campus ministry. The running joke was, well, you're the campus minister. You don't really do anything anyway. And you laugh it off because you don't want to just be a jerk about it (laughs) and like throw in their faces. Well, actually, these are the 45 things that I'm doing right now. Um, So I appreciate that you bring that up because we are real ministry professionals. And I run into, um, honestly, the people who sometimes, as I'm discussing what what it is we do with Catholic ministry professionals, it's the priests that seem to have the hardest time understanding what it means that, that we're talking about the people that work for them the professionals that work for them. And, and so it is interesting to see that there's just kind of a natural um, disbelief that it is a truly professional position. It's not just a spiritual position. It's a professional one too, and it deserves the dignity of that, but also our effort on that part. Uh, but that, I I think too, you brought up a big point of what we're trying to do in a lot of ways is help those who work for the church to experience more joy and success in their ministry because of reasons like what you said, The overworked, underpaid, but also just the sometimes the lack of structure within what should be a really professional office setting, a lack of structure and a lack of education on how to operate as a team, how to get things done as a team. And so I I, I see just a lot of frustration that Catholic ministry professionals deal with. So I'm curious for you, just a, the arc of your career, um, what is maybe one key area that you see a lot of Catholic ministry professionals getting frustrated in their work.
1: Yeah. I think you, you mentioned it a little bit there, um, in your prep for that, John, that sometimes it's, you know, vision and communication from leadership. Um, you know, I've been around priests who are like the priests that I want blessing my home and baptizing my children. And I want them on the airplane if the airplane's going down. Uh, but no one ever trained them on how to be great managers or administrators. Um, and we've all mm-hmm. worked in that world where a priest who is an incredibly faithful man of God, uh, who loves his people, never got the administrative skills uh, to run a small company, uh, and, and that's really what a parish is, right? Like it, it's a small, small business, sometimes a larger small business, um, depending on the size of your parish. Um, I've also worked in you know chanceries like I mentioned, uh, and again, loved working for Archbishop Carlson, uh, loved working for my immediate supervisor who I'll probably mention at some point, but um, there's a lot of middlemen in that world and department heads who don't maybe understand the roles of their subordinates uh and so yeah ministry professionals what is it that you're meant to be doing um and who knows what your job description is uh just writing job descriptions i think is sometimes half the battle uh you're hiring a youth minister you're hiring a music minister you're hiring all these other roles um we're in the middle of a giant reconsolidation of parishes right now uh in the diocese of sioux falls and there's a lot of new job descriptions being built Um, and so I, so I think sometimes, yeah, not knowing, uh, people not knowing what their job is supposed to be and maybe their boss, not knowing what their job is supposed to be. I have seen that a lot in church world. Um, and sadly, and this is maybe hard to say, but, uh, that ends up leading to an obvious conclusion, which is you sometimes get people in the wrong roles. Uh, the person who's been working in the church or even volunteering in the church for a long time. Uh, because ministry was sold as this thing you do if you love the church and love people. Praise be to God, those people come through our doors. Uh, But maybe there's some tough conversations that have to be had about people being in the wrong role uh, or maybe uh, people being in a role that maybe, uh, yeah, we need to talk about finding a better role, uh, talking about maybe setting sail uh, on, on, on that particular position.
2: So, has that been a struggle for you then as, as you've stepped through these different roles um, that you felt like those things didn't line up what they were asking you to do, what the position description was, and then what you were doing on the day to
1: day and the frustration that you had to deal with? Did you run into that pretty regularly? Yeah, I think it's, it's maybe twofold. And I, I can get a little soapboxy about the second part. But the first part would be, yeah, just uh, a lack of, of, of clarity of desires from, from leadership um, and that being communicated down. Right. To those employees. But I think there's a second part too, uh, gentlemen that I've seen a lot, which is people maybe not understanding what the church has defined as our role. And you, again, I saw that in, in the curial a lot. Kind of like easy example to give you. Um, my job was the, the you know, director of the Office of Young Adult Ministry, uh, which like all church jobs is a mouthful. Right. The more acronyms you, you can build onto something, the more you know you're in church work. Uh, so the office of of, of young adult ministry um, and then campus ministry was kind of tacked on the end. And I remember at one point one of my one of my six bosses I think I counted six or seven at one point but one of my six bosses um, coming to me and and having a particular issue with a a parish ministry that existed in the archdiocese of St Louis um, weren't doing anything heretical weren't doing anything scandalous uh, but he didn't like the way that they were operating and his question to me was you know Shane why don't you just tell them to do things differently. And I had to explain to this, you know, 30 year veteran of uh, curial management that that's not what the curia does. That's an independent apostolate of lay people. My job is not to be their boss. And in fact, I would get laughed at if I told them what to do. My job is to support them. And so in the curia, um, Archbishop Carlson defined it really clearly to support the people, ministries and parishes of, of that particular diocese. So my job uh, was to support them. Um, and so I think that clarity of mission for me was really important because it can be easy to either overstep your bounds um, or I know something else you, you guys talk about a lot, you can start to fall, uh, fall victim to burnout really quickly too when you feel like you have to wear every single hat. And so it was good for me to kind of clarify what is my role here? Uh, what does my boss want me to do? But, but more, more importantly, what does Christ and the church want me to do? And I'm kind of a canon law nerd. And so I, I enjoy that sometimes the church's structures already have these things defined for us. And so we don't have to make them up kind of in a vacuum. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so I, I think you kind of answered that idea of like, what's the solution? And and for you, it's finding defining things and then and really finding that mission um, as identified through your role like, and how you're going to fulfill that, how you're going to live that out. So it's really understanding the scope of that work it's understanding your role your place within within the hierarchy your place within um the diocese or the parish or the school that you work in really understanding clearly and having that that finally defined yeah I, so I, appreciate I love
0: that just for the simple fact that you no matter who is talking to you or offering you advice whether they report to you or you report to them you know so well your job and the mission at hand that you can just step back and just say hey That's not what I'm supposed to do. That's not what we're here for, just like you did in that example. Like, I love that example of having that clear mission statement or that vision of what am I doing here? Number one, it tells you what to do, but also you can now reflect on it to say or ask yourself, did I do a good job? Sure. Because how do you know if you're doing a good job if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing? And we see that in, in management all the time. like. How do you give an honest review with somebody when they don't know what exactly they're supposed to be doing day in and day out? But you get somebody that does and you get a manager that knows how to support that and really um, cultivate that type of, of work environment for them. You'll start to see people flourish. Right. You probably saw that on the football field. You tell a DB like, hey, on this play, you see this formation. This is your home. Right. Do not leave your home. This is zone. Do not follow you know, the motioning receiver. Right. And when that happens, you can almost see them like, Oh man, this, this works. Right. When a game plan comes together, it's a beautiful thing.
1: Well, and to your point, you do see people come alive when they feel accurately and and adequately supported. Um, I couldn't, I can't count the number of times. Again, I was kind of consulting with parishes and, um, in my role. And, and I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what specifically, like what specific skills I brought to the table. Um, but I, I was amazed the number of people I met with in parishes who said something to the extent of this is the first time someone from the Chancery has asked what we needed. Uh, because I am a canon law nerd and I know what the Chancery is supposed to be, which is not to be the boss of the parishes. Um, another thing I can soapbox about for a long time, like we so often see the church as um, just another kind of fortune 500 company. Um, and so we have this kind of top-down approach, right? The the Pope is the CEO and he's got a bunch of middle middle managers and we call those bishops. Um, and then they have sort of their staff. And then those have like branches, you know, sub branches and those are called parishes and to treat parishes with this great dignity uh, and to approach parishes with An opportunity to serve them um, was, I think, so refreshing for so many people that they probably didn't realize I didn't really have much to offer them uh, other than just to be an ear that was willing to listen and willing to kind of hear their needs and and try my best to come up with a solution.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So then just moving forward, what tools do you think every parish needs to have in their tool belt for ministry in the in the 21st century?
1: Yeah. I think a clear understanding of your people. Um, my former boss, uh, Brian Miller in St. Louis was really, really great at this. Um, and there's so many ways you can kind of, you know, chart this out. I'm a, I'm an Excel guy and I'm a, I'm a spreadsheet guy. I'm a math major in a former life. Um, and you can, you can kind of use, a um, you know, the focus wind, build, send, or the, you know, growing disciple send sent disciple, however you want to kind of break it down. I think knowing sort of the makeup of your people, um, again, the people of the parish are the parish. And that's not just kind of a cute idiom we use in church world to say like, oh, people are more important than programs. Um, Again, canon law defines what a church, or excuse me, what a parish is. It's um, a portion of the people of God. Uh, We happen to define that in the U.S. by geography. But um, the more that you as a parish, I think, can identify who your people are and what their specific needs are, Uh, that is partially things like demographics. But but doing a little bit deeper dive. And that's hard to do, um, especially at bigger parishes. You know, my my parish currently um, in Sioux Falls, the parish where I'm a parishioner, I, I'm not employed there. Um, they're using, a, this isn't like a, a paid advertisement, but they're, uh, they they spent some money and, and hired out this group called Communio. And it's still really early in the process. So, I, you know, the results are uh, are still to be seen, but these early results seem to be pretty promising. Their main intention, as far as I can tell, Uh, is to give the parish real insight into who your people are, uh, how you serve your people, um, and that parish ministry then becomes not just a pet project. um, Like, you know, Shane, the campus minister, happens to like this, and so that's what I'm going to push. But it allows you to be responsive to the people in our parish boundaries, who are the people who are showing up to Sunday Mass. And again, in ministry, we can get kind of all those concentric circles. Um, Who are the people who are volunteering to serve in our ministries? And then who are those, you know, uh, the Matthew Kelly, you know, like six percent of the people who are doing all the work, um, and identify that. I think mm-hmm. you can you can start to have some real conversations about what parish ministry, properly speaking, should actually look like.
2: Yeah, well, I I say this all the time. You can't lead someone to Jesus really on accident, right? You have to actually be in relationship with them. In order to be in the relationship with that many people, you have to find friends, patterns, um, commonalities, things that you can actually minister and speak into. So you, you can stri- strategically, but intentionally lead people down that pathway towards intentional discipleship. And, you know, Ty, you, I mean, you could probably speak on this too, just the, the need to intentionally guide someone down that, that path to the end goal that you've got in mind, which for, for you is sales. It's, it's a sale, but, um, in the church world, Ooh. it's, it's conversion. It's deeper communion with Jesus yeah, Christ. I,
0: I can't, agree with you enough about you can't lead people to jesus by accident that's like you can't find the end zone on accident well maybe you can somebody fumbles the ball there and you happen to be the lazy one that stayed back i caught a ball stuck in your helmet um (laughs) no I, i just think that if you're going to be successful and and success to me is being able to repeat what you've done A numerous amount of times, not just on accident, and in order for you to be able to repeat it, you have to know what you're doing and the intention behind it. So, I mean, it's just one of those deals. Like, don't don't play ministry, don't play evangelization. Have that relationship and be able to to lead somebody to Jesus. That's the most important part.
1: And I've heard you guys talk a lot about you know the tools that really help us do ministry well, and so much of what I think good tools do is it frees you then, um, it frees your time, it frees your energy, uh, it gives you space and, and a place to do the real hard work of ministry and the, but the, the real fruitful work of ministry, which is relationality, right? I, I, I'm, I'm thinking like the guys that I was able to mentor and work with during my time in Focus, I remember um, like my first year in Focus, right? Everyone, or first year even, I wasn't even in Focus yet. I was a, a football coach still at the time. And I've gone through a conversion recently in the last couple of years at this point in time. And so you think you have all the answers, right? Like, man, I'm just gonna duplicate what happened with me with all these guys and they're all gonna love Jesus and it's gonna be awesome. And the first guy I really invest in, everything I say is just like hitting a brick wall. Like none of it penetrates. He he wants to know the Lord, he wants to be there. Uh, But every little tip and trick I have in my tool bag is absolutely falling short. Um, and I had to learn that year, like this guy has a different, I mean, pick your kind of personality test you want to go with. He has a different disposition than me. He has a different way of, of receiving than me. Um, he's not just a mini Shane. Uh, and so, you know, the, 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 this sort of holistic one size fits all silver bullet approach uh, usually isn't going to be that effective. And so I had to learn really quickly in ministry that I got to make time to just be with the people um, whoever the Lord is calling me to invest mm-hmm. in, because they're going to probably be drastically different than I am. Uh, and that's a good thing for them. Um, but a good thing for our Lord as well, that, that he's given me the opportunity to see that. Cause it's, it's easy to just see everyone as carbon copies of yourself, um, or even carbon copies of what's maybe worked in, in the past. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and, and as you say that I'm thinking about, you and uh, you work hard to disciple someone you work hard to build a program you work hard to teach your students um this this faith to to not just teach them but to bring them into deeper faith and i think there's a healthy burden of responsibility on people who who are in love with jesus who are working in professional ministry um to see all of them be converted to see all of them grow in faith and be discipled um so you know there's this this the spiritual side of ministry, right? That we want to see them converted. Um, and there's this practical side of ministry, which says, well, maybe not all of them will, that you can't do it all. You know, kind of that classic, um, it's not about the numbers, but it's it's also kind of about the numbers. How do you find that balance in your brain and in your work that between that spiritual side, that practical side, uh making all that fit together? Yeah,
1: it's funny you mentioned that. Um, again, I I I love my former employer very much. I, I am a, a proud um yeah. G- former, former employee of, of uh, focus fellowship at Catholic university students. But a lot of us former focus people like to laugh because focus uses a lot of that language, right? It's not about the numbers. It's about personal investment, but all of the focus advertising is about the numbers and about the great impact that Focus has. <laughs> and it's like, well, of course we're going to shout from the mountaintops uh, how many vocations have came out of focus. Um, how many people have given their life to Christ, how many great marriages and vocations to the priesthood. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you're right. It is a balance. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I needed some mentors to help me learn that there's another guy that comes to mind um, from my time in St. Louis. Uh, Denny Hanley was a guy who was very interesting because he came from like a banking and marketing background. And I showed up kind of uh, like you've described, John, as kind of just like the on fire ministry guy. And I just wanted to go do ministry, whatever that you know, mm-hmm. relatively means. And Denny really helped me learn about like how to focus our approach, how to use my time well so that I can invest in individuals, but like how to do social media well, which was a concept that I hated. I I hated the idea that my, like my work should be tied to social ministry somehow, um, or excuse me, social media. And he helped me understand, like that doesn't have to take up all your time. We can actually be strategic about this and we can, like, I learned how to set a, a, like a Twitter and an Instagram post for the next week. Like I didn't know that was something you could do when I took that job. And Denny treated, you know, walked very slowly and gently and patiently with me um, on how to kind of cast that net wide uh, with social media, with technology, with, with marketing, um, and then to be able to kind of bear fruit from that. Uh, the other thing that I learned a lot, you know, doing kind of high level uh, diocesan ministry, but also my time with focus. And I, I would say, you know, not to stretch the uh, the metaphors too much here, but even w- with coaching is if you can invest in some people who you can identify as leaders, uh, you can really start to kind of double and triple and you know quadruple your impact. Um, focus, I, I think sometimes gets knocked for that, for kind of focusing on Greek life, on athletics. Um, but I think there's a very obvious spiritual principle there that if you can invest deeply in those who are leaders and who tend to be more impactful with their peers, you can have a lot greater impact. I mean, we, anybody who's worked in kind of parish or youth ministry knows if you can get uh, the kid that everyone sort of likes and respects, not necessarily the most popular kid, but the guy or the girl who everyone respects and knows and sees as a good friend and a leader. If that person comes to your Bible study, all of a sudden the floodgates open. And, you know, that's what actually kind of started our, our our momentum when I was at the university of South Dakota. Uh, we had a couple of guys who were, you know, First team all conference type players come to a Bible study, and all of a sudden, going to a Bible study at the Newman Center down the road didn't seem uh, so out there, right? It seemed like a normal thing to do because some of these kind of big name guys were doing it, and uh, and the rest was sort of history. You know, we we ended up having dozens and dozens of college athletes, Division one athletes, in Bible study within the next you know eighteen months. Um, so I think being intentional about who you invest in, uh, with the hope, of course, and, and the prayer that that will manifest into Into great numbers because we do want to reach the gospel or spread the gospel to all nations and to all people.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So then I think you've given us a couple of examples, but we'd probably like to hear one more of of where you see ministry being done really well. Now, this is your chance to brag on somebody. You know, it could be in your church, you know, a ministry you follow or elsewhere. Um, Maybe somebody that you're going to recommend be on the show later.
1: Yeah, I would say you know the the two names I mentioned. I'll I'll give you a little bit more about them. You know, Brian Miller was my boss uh, in St. Louis. Um, I think his his job titles probably changed, like all Curial employees do. Probably changed five times in the last five years. Um, But Brian had such an ability to um, to like I've said, kind of cast that net wide. And when you're working for especially diocesan level, you have to be able to kind of speak all the different languages. And so he was very good at being able to interact with the you know let's just start building camps here uh, and and sort of putting people in boxes that, that don't exist. But like the praise and worship crowd and the charismatic crowd and the traditional crowd uh, and you know the the college campus ministry crowd and sort of the old ladies who run the church breakfast crowd. Um, and being able to share the gospel that is universal uh, with this giant swath of people. Um, and then my friend Denny again was so good at helping me understand like the importance of. The professionalism, uh, the tools of the trade, I mean, using things like sales Salesforce and uh, like having a very professionally minded approach to ministry um, and to be able to do both those things really, really well. Um, and then I would just say, you know, I, I've been very impressed. Uh, I've been in my job just for a couple of years um, at O'Gorman and teaching high school is a totally different world because it is ministry um, in a very real sense, but it's a different kind of ministry. Uh, and so for me it's been important to kind of find people that are doing that sort of work well. Um, I certainly have, you know, the 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 degrees on the wall that say I can teach theology uh, having a you know, couple master's degrees. I sort of know my content. Um but I think it's so important in church work, in ministry work, in professional ministry work to find people in your field who are real people that you can bounce ideas off of, that you that you can learn from. Um, And so, yeah, to be able to find like teachers, both in my building, but also outside uh, that can be resources for me in how to execute this ministry really, really well.
0: Sure. And speaking of resources, what's your favorite ministry resource right now?
1: You're asking a guy who's been kind of out of that game for a while. That's a that's a tough question. Uh, What should I say? Let's see. Well, even Um, even in what
0: you're doing with high school. You know, what, yeah. what's a, a good resource that you use now? Maybe it, maybe it is a resource that of traditional sense, or it could just be, hey, I, I really love YouTube University and I follow Catholic Ministry Professionals Podcast. You can say that.
1: Well, I mean, you guys are the starting point, but I mean, in a very real sense, uh, I think that in this sort of technological age and my my former boss, Brian, you used to joke, like we live in the golden age of catechetical materials. That was like a phrase he would throw around mm-hmm. all the time at meetings. Like we we live in an age where there is, there is more content and, and not just content, but like quality content than we could ever consume. Um, and so to be able to, to narrow it down. And so what I found is you need people, uh, and this is where like, yeah, my plug for you guys is not just uh, you know, lip service because you had me on your podcast, but guys like you two who have been on the ground and who've been in the world of ministry, people who have been on the ground, real people dealing with these real problems that occur um, I know you guys have been there. And so what makes, I think, podcasts like yours great is that it's not going to be formulaic. Uh, it's not going to be stale. It's not going to be repetitive. Um, but man, what I've learned, and, and, and this just sounds like the most Dominican thing ever. I'm a lay Dominican. But like going back to the church fathers, uh, going back to like the sources of our church, to reading the saints, uh, the wisdom of the saints is really timeless. Um, the more that I like work with these 14, 15 year old men and women, uh, and try to kind of build curriculum. I mean, we're, we're, we're redoing our curriculum from scratch right now. And so with freshmen, we're building out our scripture curriculum. Um, and I never saw myself as, as, as a Bible teacher. I thought I would be teaching all catechetics, all dogmatics, like give me Marian dogmas like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, scripture was not something I was interested in. But the more that I, I kind of got forced into the teaching of scripture, and I've loved it. Um, so I think getting back into the scriptures, um, both, both peripherally but also academically and being able to do both. Um, so I try to help my students, like, here's how we read, uh, these prophecies in an academic setting. And and we're going to talk about them in an intellectual way, but also on Tuesday, we're going to go to the chapel and we're going to pray Lectio. And I'm going to teach you how to pray with scripture. So I think engagement with the scriptures, um, and then, yeah, with the church fathers and with the saints, uh, the more that I'm looking for kind of exciting new content, the more I end up finding my way kind of woven back um, through good Catholic podcasters, through good Catholic writers online, the more I realize that their content is really pulled directly from the tradition of the church. When I find a good article, it's usually because they're quoting, um, you know, John Henry Cardinal Newman, uh, not because they came up with some brand new idea. And so that's probably not the answer you're looking for. You're looking for something probably like specific resource, but I've just found in teaching these last couple of years with high schoolers, the importance of going back to the sources uh, and to the foundation of our church, because they're so desirous of something that they can sink their teeth into.
0: No, I, I love it. S- scripture for me, because I, I love apologetics. John, actually the first book he gave me, uh, cause I was kind of dabbling within apologetics was by Peter Kreeft. um Yep. Literally was way out of my league. Like I probably should have been reading like Dr. Seuss instead of Dr. Peter Kraft. Um, but it, it's tough work. So it, and it wasn't until I really started hashing into apologetics that everything kept pointing back to scripture, 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 tradition, early church fathers. And it's just like, you know, I actually kind of like scripture.
1: It's amazing when Catholics who've been Catholic, I, again, I, 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 converted not because of scripture. Like I, I mean, I, I grew up Catholic, but my, uh, my re- reversion, if we want to use sort of that language was because I read City of God by St. Augustine. And I didn't, I didn't understand half of it because that's a pretty hefty book and there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of history. Was say, but it, it was whoa. just this, this vision of the world, right? That sort of attracted me. And I think I've met other people with similar conversion stories that what the church proposed that drew them in and made them fall in love was a vision of how to live that was different. And so for me, for a couple years, kind of my like college years, it was uh, the church proposed a vision like a philosophy of living that I was attracted to. I didn't want to do it, right? Um I was kind of like St. Augustine himself, like Lord, make me, you know, make me chase, make me whatever, but not now. Um this vision of the world that makes sense. Uh, and again, the more I work with high schoolers, the more they recognize, they can't always articulate or put words to it, but the more I think they do recognize that the world is not offering them something concrete, uh, something that they can build a firm foundation upon. And so they're, they're, they're looking for that. And if we can give that to them in the church, like you said, uh, guys in scripture and in tradition, then I think we've at least done half the battle. Uh, and, and I know that when I do deep dives on Matthew's gospel and you know the geography and the different allusions to the Old Testament, I know that 90% of it they're going to forget. Uh, but I think if I can express the gospel and the story of salvation history as coherent, And as something that's real and attainable um, and a story that they're a part of then i think as scripture teachers we've done our job
2: yeah absolutely and uh, the thing with scripture too is it's inexhaustible right what's that the ever ancient ever new you know it, it just is inexhaustible and you can revisit these things over and over and over again in scripture and continue to receive from them in new ways even from the same content and i i just think that that's <laughs> that's our goal for the podcast. Sure. So, um no, that's, that's wonderful. Um so Shane, if you had the attention of the world for 90 seconds,
1: what would you say? I would say uh repent and believe in the gospel because uh worship is what you were made for. This is another thing all high schoolers know but they can't articulate, right? You're made for worship and you're going to worship something. And we all know that on some level. And so let's stop worshipping that which is not worthy of our worship. Instead, worship God who is being itself and to whom you are destined to dwell with for all eternity. Uh, and then the caveat to that is whenever time I have left uh, following Jesus and giving him and his church, your life does not rob you of your desires and your hobbies, et cetera, et cetera. It simply perfects them. Um, and this is again, my message to young people because so much of my work has been with young people. Like, I think there is this tendency to not want to let go of that, which makes me me and to, Share with them that Jesus doesn't desire to do that. He doesn't desire to rob you of your desires and hobbies and interests and make you a cookie cutter saint. He he desires to perfect all of those things that make you you. And thus, the saints are the most interesting and unique and diverse group of people we could possibly imagine.
0: Amen. Amen. That'll preach. Shane, who do you think we should have on the show next?
1: uh i think uh a couple of former friends of mine uh, again i think either the guys that i that i talked about tonight either brian miller or denny hanley would be great um uh, another old st louis friend joe dabrinsky um i'm gonna forget what his new job is but he could brag on his new job he has a he took a new ministry job uh he left uh the archdiocese st louis he still lives in st louis but i think those three guys would be great i can certainly get you guys contact info um i was just so blessed to be a part of a great staff uh again i'm from sioux falls so a lot of people know Archbishop Robert Carlson. He was then Bishop Carlson when he was in Sioux Falls, but uh, he just did such a great job of putting together a team of people who, who loved the church, uh, who were sons and daughters of the church, and who also had the skills to implement that that well. So uh, George Brinsky, uh, Benny Hanley, Brian Miller, guys from St. Louis, um, good friends of mine, but, but more importantly, good good sons of the church.
0: Awesome Shane. This has been a great conversation. Thanks for being on the show. Um Is there anywhere our listeners can go to connect with you or support your ministry? Uh,
1: not officially no. I mean, if you want to donate to the O'Gorman Catholic School system, you certainly can. Um, our paychecks could all use a little boost, but uh no I, I i I pretty much am dialed in on the teaching stuff right now. I do a little bit of stuff on the side um I, I definitely do some some speaking and things, but i not enough that i have a former website so unfortunately uh this is me you have to listen to your guys's podcast um to get the digs on what shane van Dees is doing
0: yeah i if you want to share it with we'll, us we definitely share it on our, our social media pages
2: sounds good definitely awesome well thanks shane and thank you dear listeners for listening to the catholic ministry professionals podcast If you want to transform your parish through your work, but you're not sure where to start, we want you to download our free parish health assessment at catholicministryprofessionals.com slash free assessment. It's just 36 questions. It takes about five minutes. And afterwards, you're going to have a color-coded picture of your parish's health that you can use to fuel better conversations, prioritize better work, and become a better leader. So if you'd like to request a free consultation or... Send us some feedback. You can email us at catholicmenpros at gmail.com.
0: And with that, we will see you in the vineyard.